Good morning, everyone. Thank you again for coming. Beautiful day out. Thank all of those for joining us online. It's been a very nice and inspiring week so far, I think. And um, we have a special event at the end of meditation today. Um, Mark Smith-Heisler, <laughs> it's a difficult name, I got it right. <laughs> He's from our, uh, Ananda, Dallas, and we're going to ordain him as a minister, as an Ananda minister at the end of meditation uh, today. So that will be wonderful for you to be a channel as we've been speaking. And also to remind you um, two things. One, we'll end the class this morning with a fire ceremony as we spoke about yesterday. Uh, for self-offering. If you've written something down on a piece of paper, that's fine. If not, we can just do it mentally. And then finally, to remind you this evening, Jatish and I will do a spontaneous question and answer. So if you have questions, feel free. You can ask them in person tonight or online. We'll take questions. Or you can write them down. And there's a basket in the guest services area, and you can put them in there. So, or, or you could also write them down and bring them tonight. Sometimes people would like to ask a question, but would prefer to do it a little more anonymously than stand up in front of 200 people and bear their greatest fears. <laughs> but we, do write your name on it, and we will say your name and ask you to yes, stand up. Yes, right. right. <laughs> okay. One, one time we were in... Italy and uh, people there, uh, well, let's just say following the rules is not an Italian uh, <laughs> tendency. So no matter what we would say, people would still bring their cell phones in. And periodically during the class, the cell phone would go off. So and by the way, no cell phones. Yeah, no cell phones. This whole week. Yay. Right, yay. <laughs> helps that we don't have service here. But, uh, in any case, so, so again, this happened. And, and Davey said, OK, the next time someone's cell phone goes off, we're going to confiscate it and publish it, uh, pub put it on the internet so all the spam uh, providers will have your phone number. And that was the end of it, no more. You'd better pray. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we'll do our best to pull this thing back again. Please stand. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father divine, mother, divine Mother, friend, beloved God, friend, great, masters, great Masters, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ Babaji Krishna, Babaji Krishna Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, beloved Master, Paramahansa Yoganandaji, saints of all religions, we humbly bow to you all. Beloved Lord, we willingly and joyfully offer into thy light all those things that are holding us back. Release us, Release us 
from all attachments, desires, and tendencies that keep us from knowing Thee and knowing our true self. Om. Peace. Amen. Please be seated and we'll have some glorious music. such a beautiful song based as you undoubtedly recognize on the wonderful prayer of St. Francis. The, uh, actually, the prayer of St. Francis probably was not written by St. Francis. The first mention of it was found in the breviary or the kind of uh, notebook, one would say journal, of William the Conqueror, who was master in a former lifetime. So in any case, whether it's St. Francis, master, or some other high soul, it's an absolutely perfect expression of that sentiment of countering darkness with light, which has been the theme. Okay, we'll start again by invoking the Pandavas to join us.
it was wonderful, that song that you all just sang. But it was, for me, equally wonderful looking at the eyes of Satyana and Bhagavati and Ramesha, because they're our main choir group and with a few others. And they were watching the new choir, and you look so happy. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> we don't have to do it every day. <laughs> OK. So our topic today is self-offering. Offering the light within to God. And this will be the last class that Jyotish and I do as part of Inner Renewal Week tomorrow. We'll have a wonderful panel with some of our um, newer teachers, and we'll be sitting watching and cheering them on too. But uh, so we're, we'll be kind of completing the cycle of what we've been sharing today. And We've talked, I think, hopefully you remember Monday and Tuesday class. On Monday, we talked about sadhana and how to see that as awakening the light within us and, and becoming aware that we are astral beings of light, that by opening up the inner centers of higher consciousness, and particularly the spiritual eye, our whole body, our whole consciousness, body, mind, and soul become filled with light. And then on Tuesday, we talked about seva, service, offering the light in service to others. And again, they go hand in hand, and that's what's so important to realize, that what we experience in meditation, awakening that light, then we can express it in service to others by offering them the best that it was within us in a elevated consciousness. And you bring these two together, sadhana and service, because Master said that was the essence of our path, meditation and service activity. You bring those two together, and then we start to become aware that we have something of great value within us. And we think of our personality and all the flaws and the things we're trying to overcome and desires and wrong attitude. And that's not who we are. Who we are is the light within. And we realize this through meditation and service. And so what we're going to be talking about today is sort of weaving all that together and how we offer up the light within us to God. And I'd like to, I want to touch on three main points. And by the way, I want to also, as an aside, thank right now Inez Hudson in Boston and Bhakti Marg here in our broadcasting little booth are simultaneously translating these talks into Spanish for our Spanish-speaking devotees all over the world. And it's not easy. They're not UN translators. And so they, we try to send them the quotes we're going to be using ahead of time. But it's not always easy to do that. And, uh, and so they said, at least read slowly. When you, <laughs> if, so we can They said, normal speaking, we can do. But when you're reading, it read slowly. Anyway, the first point, so thank you, Inez and Bhakti Marg. And I know all the Spanish-speaking devotees in South America and Mexico and Europe are greatly appreciating what you're doing. 
<clears throat> so the first point I want to talk about is in this concept of self, of offering the light to God, offering our inner light in our daily life. Sometimes we think it's only, you know, esoteric things, but it's what life is about, what any incarnation is about, is to realize that everything is a part of God. Everything we do, from cooking a meal to uh, meditating to serving others to whatever it may be, to losing our temper, it's all a part of God. And so what we need to do is to begin how do we infuse our everyday life with an awareness that we're offering it to God? There's a beautiful quote from Metaphysical Meditations, which I read from that little book virtually every day after meditation. I have a little very beat-up copy that travels around the world with us. So Master says, <clears throat> My offering to thee, each morning I offer my body, my mind, and any ability that I possess to be used by thee, O infinite creator, in whatever way thou dost choose to express thyself through me. So starting off each day and saying, I'm just offering whatever I have, consciously, that's the point, consciously, whether it's electrical wiring or whatever it may be, you consciously offer that. This is what I have to give. If it's business skills, if it's gardening skills, if it's simply kindness and compassion, and I shouldn't say simply, that's one of the most difficult things to do all the time, but to consciously say each day, renew each day, I offer it to you each day. And it was so beautiful watching Swami Kriyananda because he lived that. Sometimes he would call us over in the early morning and for something he wanted to tell us or share. And you could tell he just was beginning each day with that fresh enthusiasm to live it for God. And this was sort of a slightly strange story, but one, uh, one morning, it was in the springtime when all the beautiful tulips were bl uh, blooming, and Swami... His body, he took a lot of karma of others, I think, off on his own body. He had a lot of physical disabilities. And once someone asked him, Swami, are you working out the karma of other people by all your illness? And he was reluctant to acknowledge things like that. But he, he kind of paused and he said, we all have to do our part. What a beautiful way to put it. I can do this. So it's my part to do. But one morning, we got a call early from Swami. And he had had an artificial hip. He had a hip replacement surgery. And he, he sounded very calm. But he said, could you come down? I was trying to take a photo of some tulips outside my window. And I kind of leaned forward. And I popped that hip out. And I can't move. Could you come down? <laughs> 
yeah, we'll be down, Swami. And Dr. Peter came, and we came, and we called the 911, and it was an interesting scene. But anyway, we got him, and as they were, we were waiting, he said, well, we'll be going into the hospital, and I'm still in my pajamas, so could you pack some clothes? I want that nice sport jacket and that tie and that shirt. So we had this nice little package, and they... It was a hard scene to watch. The EMT guys came, and they were part of our local fire department, and they're kind of rough-and-tumble guys. And so they came in, and they had these really muddy boots, and they walked into Sami's house, and they had this old board that was kind of worm-eaten, and they had duct tape, and they duct taped Swami to this board, and we were just watching all this with amazement. Oh, my God. Anyway, we got to the hospital. <clears throat> They took him in an ambulance with Peter, and we drove, Dr. Peter. And, you know, those of you who have gone to emergency rooms, they're not always as quick in their response as we would like. And so it took hours and hours before they could finally help Swami. And, uh, but we were just there with him, and finally the very wonderful orthopedic surgeon who had done the surgery came, and he was able to pull it back in with a great deal of effort. And then... This was the magic moment. Swami said, okay. I mean, he and Swami had been in a great deal of pain. And he said, where's that bag of my clothes? And we said, here, Swamiji. And he went into the bathroom, and he came out looking like, as he usually did, a king. You know, beautiful sport jacket, beautiful shirt and tie, elegant, well-groomed. And we walked out of the emergency treatment room, and the nurses said, sir, can I help you? They didn't realize he was the same guy. And he just said... And then he said, no, I'm fine now. And then he turned to Peter and to us, Dr. Peter, and he said, let's go get some lunch. And we just went out. And, but it was that ability to live in God's light no matter what was going on and to start off that day in that way and just carry it through. And But it, it's something we have to consciously do. And then the tricks to doing it one thing is to begin each day and say, Lord, what do you want me to do this day? Not my will, but thy will. And every, I mean, every period of our life, we're posed with different choices, aren't we? Should I say this? Should I not say that? How should I put this? Should I go help this person or not? Should, you know, and to have this dialogue, going interior dialogue going on, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what do I want to do? And it's not that it's totally self-denial, like, well, Lord, do you want me to eat lunch or not eat lunch, you know? <laughs> but, but just subtler, subtler, it's really attitude. How do I approach this person with the most helpful kind of energy I can offer them? How, and how can I approach this project in the most productive way? You guide me. I offer my energy to you. Every morning I offer the best that is in, you, in me to you, but you have to guide me. And then we're offering up in our daily life. It's not... The real, Master is so emphatic about this. The realm of the spiritual and the practical are not so separate worlds. They're conjoined, co-joined. And we need to realize that even in business decisions, whatever it may be, we just draw God's guidance, God's presence. And I will, 
I will, as Master said, I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity to the right end in all things. So in offering up our light, we want to say, guide those, guide my activities, because I don't want to leave that light. I'm happy when I live in that light. And I don't know if you've had this experience. I'm getting better at it, but it's a, it's a work in progress. You want to say something to someone, and you're not sure if you should say it or not. And you wait for guidance, and you don't get it, so you say it. <laughs> and what happens? Uh, whew, the curtain goes down. The, the shades go down. You can feel, I stepped out of your light. That's what I did. I asked, you didn't tell me, but I went ahead with my own will. And you get to the point where you don't, it's not about being a good little person. It's about living in the light. And you don't want to be outside of that light. Let everything that I say or do or decide, let me live in your light as I do it. And this translates so much into the realm of living harmoniously with other people. Once there was a woman who lived here some years ago. She was a good soul and a sincere devotee, but she was, her karma was such that she just did not have the ability to get along with other people. And she knew it and she tried, but it was just something that, it was a language she didn't speak. Once. Uh, there was a big Christmas Eve gathering at Swami's house, and a friend of mine told me this. And this woman, who was kind of abrasive, she was standing at the back of the room next to a friend of mine. They were both friends of mine, but the other woman was more harmonious. And she saw all the people laughing and talking and being together. And this disharmonious woman turned and she said, I, I watch and see what's happening, but I just don't know how to do it. And it's, we all know people like that, but rather than judging them, realize, God, what they're going through, and they don't know how to do it any better. But so she went to Swami one time, and she said, Swamiji, am I not in tune? And he just very kindly looked at her and said, attunement is harmony harmony with others, harmony with the world around you, harmony with whatever happens to come in your way. But to live harmoniously with others, we need, as we've said earlier, to offer the light in us, to the, relate to the light in them. And then you find people are transformed by that. We had a woman who lived here some years ago who was a doctor very fine woman. And she told a story when she was working in an emergency room, and, and it was late one night, and the police brought in this man who was just kind of, I think he was a homeless man, but he was just kind of crazy drunk and, and violent, and they had two policemen holding them down, and they, I, he had fallen down and broken his arm. That's why he was in the emergency room. And she, the police said, we can't leave you alone in the treatment room with him. And she said, no, no. She was a Kriyabhan. She said, no, no, I, I can handle this. And she just related to the light within him from the light within her. And he just began to, it's a very touching story. He began to calm down, calm down. She was able to set his arm. 
And then he just looked at her and said, <laughs> echo, and said, help. Okay, they're assuming, and said, okay. <laughs> that was a dramatic pause. <laughs> He looked at her and said, from his pain and his inebriated state, he just looked and said, will you be my doctor? And it was, he was saying, I want your energy. I, I'm comforted by being with you. And so she said, that's what I would do in those emergency room calls. I would try to relate to the light in other people. And so look at in your own life. Look at your, if you're in a partnership with another person, a close relationship, if you're in a family, if you're in a work environment, everybody has people around them that it's are challenging. And if we can learn to share the light consciously, rather than putting up a wall or judging, but just to share the light. And if we can do that, then we create we're living in that light all the time instead of letting the, we take charge. Instead of saying, well, that person, whenever I'm around them, I'm in darkness. That's your choice. You can be or you can stay in the light and remember that because it's true. Nobody can take you out of God's light if you don't allow them to do that. And Jyotish and I actually, if any of you are interested, um, have done a 10-class series on how to develop harmonious relationships. It's available online with the, from, from online with Ananda. We had a lot of fun. It's all based on Masters and Swami's teachings, but people have been really helped by it. So bringing the presence of God's light from within us into everything we do, and it will transform your life. And remember, as I said, the path to God is a very practical one. Once someone said to Master, your detractors are saying that you've lost your powers. And he said, I don't know that I ever had any powers. And this was from someone who could bring people back from the dead. But he didn't see them as his powers. It was God, God acting through him. And we see that story repeated and repeated in autobiography. Someone comes to Lahiri Mahasha and says, oh, can you heal my friend? He said, I can't heal your friend. I, what, who do you think, what do you think I am? And the, please, sir, please, sir. And, and, then he, and then he said, well, can the God within you heal my friend? He said, no, of course, that's a different story. So, but that applies to you. The light within you can change the world around you. It's not just our wonderful friends behind us. Speaking of our wonderful friends behind us, some years ago, Jatish and I were teaching, a, I think it was a two-week class on Patanjali. And there was a man in the class who we could tell wasn't quite getting it, but he came every class. And then the last, the last class, we said, are there any questions? And our friend raised his hand. He said, who are those guys on the bench? I <laughs> thought, oh, he's new. He's new. He doesn't get this yet. OK. And then the last thing about living in the light in daily life. Act dharmically, 
right action. One of Ananda's mottos is tato dharma yato jaya, where there's dharma, where there is right action, there is victory. If you have a choice about bending the rules even a little bit or adhering to truth and honesty, integrity, kindness, uplifted consciousness, even if it's the hardest possible choice, you will succeed if you live dharmically. That's the whole teaching of the Bhagavad, or one of the main themes of the Bhagavad Gita, do your dharma. You can't fail if you do your dharma. And there's that great line Krishna says to Arjuna, better to fail in your own dharma than to succeed in somebody else's. In other words, if you do your dharma, even if it doesn't look like you succeeded, in the end, you're working out your karma and your soul will be freer. So live dharmically. It's not, it's not a matter of, I don't know, traditional religion is so rigid in their concept of sin and all that. It's not a matter of sin and evil and good. It's a matter of being in tune with a higher consciousness. And that's what dharma is, living in such a way that God's truth, God's light is flowing through you. Now, <clears throat> next point I want to share is about offering God's light within through prayer. Master talks a lot about prayer, gives it a wonderful, wonderful definition. And in Whispers from Eternity, probably most of you know, he calls it, it's a book of prayer demands. And I encourage you to read or reread the introduction because he makes a very strong point about not beggarly demands, but to pray as a child of God, as with confidence. Christ says, pray believing. It's the same concept. It's not like you're an outsider, but you're. it's like God is your your beloved mother, father, and he wants to help you, but you need to speak the language of prayer in the proper way. And that's not with, oh, please help me. I'm such a worthless sinner. No, 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 no. Master, you know what Master said? The greatest sin is to call yourself a sinner. Whoa. That's something to think about. Because what he's trying to say is you are a child of God. And if you don't live that, you just keep that part of you forever buried. And so to live in that way, um, there's a wonderful quote. And i sorry, Inez and Bhaktimara, I didn't send this one to you this morning. Came, but uh, I will read it slowly. This is from Conversations with Yogananda, which were quotations that Swamiji wrote down and then compiled. God answers all prayers. Restless prayers, however, he answers only a little bit. If you offer to others something that isn't yours to give, won't that be merely an empty gesture? If you pray to God similarly, but lack control over your own thoughts, that prayer will be without power. Thoughts and feelings both must be focused when you pray. Otherwise, God will meet your little trickle with another trickle of his own. 
he will dole out his answers in a teaspoon. Too often, prayer is more like the half-hearted mumbling of a beggar than the confident, loving demand of a friend. Now, why? what has this to do with light? How do we develop the ability to pray with concentration and focus? It's by focusing the light in our own mind through meditation. It's by being able to take control of your thoughts and feelings, by awakening the spiritual eye, and by feeling that the language you're speaking is a language of confidence and love, and the, the specific language, dialect one might say, is the dialect of light that the words are not, oh, please, please, I know you can't do it. But just recently, I was praying for someone who was having a hard time. And I didn't feel much. And then a few days later, in the middle of the night, I kind of woke up, and I was thinking about Master. And I wasn't even thinking about that person. But that person, I just saw them enveloped in light. And Master was saying, I got this one. I got this one. And it was such a reassuring feeling just to know you send that light out, and the language with which God responds is the language of light. And to it's a wonderful facility to develop the power of prayer. And not, again, hearkening back to, not what do I want? I think we've all prayed this way. Oh, please, let me get that car, let me get that house, you know, let me get that job. Those prayers usually don't work. In fact, I've never found them to work, ever. Because God has a bigger plan. And if you just pray with light or send light to another towards another person, not to say, I want this to happen, but just say, Lord, fill their life with your light, and then let, let it, you take it from there. I'm just sending in the light request. You take, you take and fill, fill the order. I'm sending in the, the request. You, you, take, you, know, you fulfill it. But it takes concentration and focus, but more important, pray as an act of self-offering, not a, and and do you think, well, how does that work? Because you're saying, don't pray like a beggar, but demand. Well, yes, but demand not in an egoic sense. I want this. Even I want this for that other person to help them. Just simply, Lord, I'm sending light to that person. You know, someone. Um, there was a story I read about there had been a big car accident and a big, you know, many cars pile up and many people were killed. And one person actually had a near-death experience, was dead, but came back to life later. And they were seeing this and they said they saw in all the cars where people were injured or hurt or in pain, they saw this shaft of light going up from those cars towards God. 
and whether those prayers were answered or not. But that's the language. The language of pr light is the language of prayer. And not in a way of egoic demanding, but offering yourself the light within you in the words of your prayer. And then it's a beautiful thing because whether that person's life has changed or not, whether they're helped or not, you feel that you're learning to speak God's language. And that's really what prayer is about. It's not so much the outcome, because we can't see. There was a story of a, um, Swami would tell, of a young, very saintly girl in India. And she would pray for people, and they would be healed. And but her father was very ill for a long period of time. And her family said, why don't you pray for your own father? You're praying for all these other people. And she just said, no, I don't. I don't think it's right. I, she was tuning in, you know, not, okay, I want my father to be, I don't think it's right. But the pressure became so great on her that she said, all right, I'll pray for him. So she prayed for her father. He got well, but in his good health, he went back to a very worldly life. He left the family because that was the karma. The illness was keeping him from that. And by overriding her understanding of what God's will was, because of pressure from family, she, it wasn't helpful to her father or the family. So it's important to understand, ask before you pray even, is this the prayer you want? Let me offer it. And then if you feel it is the prayer you want, God wants, and you just give it all you've got, and repeatedly over time. And again, why do we pray? Yes, for results, but more so that we learn to speak God's language. And then whether we're praying or not, whether we're just walking along the little path to the dining room, we, we're talking with God. And it was so beautiful. Very Sometimes Swamiji would uh, ask us to come down Whenever he was in residence, he would, at 5 o'clock, he would always call and say, would you like to come down for tea? And we'd say, oh, okay, Swami. And we knew it would happen every day, but we, we would go down. And he, in his later years, he would be, earlier years, he would always be writing. That's always what he did, writing, writing, writing. But in his later years, he would just be sitting in his reclining chair, and we would know, Jatish and I, to enter very quietly because he was so clearly in a state of bliss, just in his chair. And I knew he was giving us darshan. He was showing us, this is my consciousness. And we would just be very quiet for a while. And then he would open his eyes and, would you like some tea? And then we'd have tea and go for a walk. And one time when we were walking, we were in the garden <coughs> at the Crystal Hermitage. And he just said something under his breath. Oh, that's what he meant. And that's all he said. And then Jatish was helping him, holding his arm. And he, and he said, Swami, what did you mean? He said, oh, I was remembering something Master said more than 50 years ago. And he said it to, there were two of us in the room, and he was looking at that one person. But now I realize he was really directing it to me. 50 years ago, he was remembering one or two sentences that Master had said. 
And it was just in that constant remembrance because he learned to speak the language of light, which his guru spoke then, now, always. And then there's also a beautiful quote. This is from Master from Whispers from Eternity. To know how and when to pray correctly according to the nature of your demands is what will and cannot fail to bring the desired results. When the demand is made rightly, not selfishly, but in a self-giving way, it will set in motion in your favor the very laws of God. Master says that in Whispers from Eternity. Very important. When the demand is made rightly, not selfishly, but self-giving, it will put in motion the very laws of God in your favor. That's very powerful. And it's something we all can really work on. And then the final point I want to make is offering, we've talked about offering the light of God in our daily life, in prayer, and now in our spiritual life. Now, you may think we've talked about that enough already, but what I want to focus on is a sense of inner renunciation. Because renunciation is a very loaded word, isn't it? You know, I think self-denial and you know, guilt and all that. Swami's written a wonderful book, A Renunciate Order for the New Age, for the new age, based not on form, but on energy. And in fact, tomorrow morning after our meditation, uh, Krishna Dasa Mantra Devi will be leading a little ceremony for some people who are taking the first step, the pilgrim vow, the vow, Swami calls it the vow of intention, intention to direct your life to God. But inner renunciation, Swami explains, in the past, the vows of renunciates were poverty, chastity, obedience, and we don't need those forms so much because we're learning to work with energy and our inner energy. And working with our inner energy helps us to develop self-control. And so the vows have changed. So instead of poverty, it's simplicity. And, you know, we, I, we live very simply here at Ananda Village. But I, I love because we have a big free box, and uh, which gets dropped off into town. And even in our simplicity, that free box is always filled. I'm just oh, people are giving away a blender and they're giving away this and that. And I know when Jatish and I come back after being in India and Italy for several months, we just look and we think, we've got so much stuff, we've got to get rid of it, and we always pare down, pare down. But so instead of poverty, just simplicity. Look what you don't need in your life. Despite what Amazon says, you don't really need all those things. And they're kind of scary. Does it ever happen to you? The other, uh, this is a very dumb little story, but uh, the other day I was cleaning out my hairbrush. That afternoon on Amazon, 
there was a little advertisement for a hairbrush cleaner. Does that ever happen to you? I was like, wow, were they watching me do that? How do, how do they know that? God is watching, but I don't think God works for Amazon. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that, should I? Of course God works for Amazon. Because there are, anyway, to simplify your life. And then instead of chastity, just a life of moderation and self-control. It will bring you happiness. It will make your relationship so much better. If you just say, we are in control of our energy. And not they, the energy of sensuality isn't in control of me, but I am in control of it. And so just to live a life of self-control and dignity. And we don't see this advertised in the world around us either. It's quite the opposite. But there isn't much happiness in that kind of life. So poverty, and then rather than obedience, yes, sir, people often say, well, why didn't you tell that person what to do? That's not our way. Our way is cooperation. If someone's wanting to do something, even an autobiography of a yogi, when 1935-36, when Master goes back to visit Sri Akteshwar, and he wants to go to the Kumbh Mela to visit, to hopefully to see Babaji, which he doesn't see, doesn't meet him there, Sri Akteshwar, knowing he didn't have much time left, said, are you sure you want to go? He didn't say, you dummy, I'm going to leave the body, you should hang around. He just said, are you sure? And Master said, yes, I want to go. So he went. But cooperation because it involves our own ability to learn our own mistakes. Once somebody was proposing a new project to Swami, and Swami asked us what we thought about it, and Jatish said, Swami, we've tried that same thing before, and it hasn't worked. And Swami was very strong. He said, you may know that, but that person doesn't know that. And if you, this, my bangle is falling off. I'm going to take it off. And by stopping their energy, they won't learn the lessons they need to learn. So inner renunciation is a way of living in God's light. And don't be mistaken. The path of Kriya Yoga, it's more than a technique. It's a path of inner renunciation. Because you're learning to draw the energy up, Offer yourself to the high, from all the different impulses of the different chakras and offer that up. And if you see it as just a technique and live a life of, um, you know, of lack of self-control, you won't get very far in the path of Kriya because it is a, the, our path is a path of inner renunciation. And it doesn't mean it's a joyless life and a lonely life and a deprived life. Quite the opposite. It's a joy-filled, rich, abundant life. And people are sometimes surprised because Jyotish and I just enjoy very simple things. They said, oh, what did you do over the weekend? We went to our grandson's basketball game. It was wonderful. And just to enjoy the little things of life is part of the path of Kriya. But it's if we live in that light, if we offer the light within us, then not only is our inner life deeper, but our outer life is filled with so much joy. And so, my friends, 
working with our light within. And I want to read this quote from a renunciate order in the New Age because it talks exactly about a life of the true life of an inner renunciate. The renunciate, this is from Swamiji, the renunciate should offer back gratefully to this world the energy and blessings he receives from God. To achieve this end, he must develop an attitude of selfless service rendered to others according to his own ability. If he can sit all day in effective meditation, that may in fact be the highest service he can offer. His meditation, however, should be practiced with an attitude of self-offering to God and a desire for the upliftment of mankind and not with a desire for personal, even though spiritual gain. So Swami really, in that simple paragraph, sums up everything we've been saying in these three days. That our meditation, our service, it all should be a self-offering. And if we can do that, then naturally the attachments to the world fall away because we realize they're just extra baggage. And we can just move more and more to the inner light and become eventually one with that inner light. And that is for all of us, without exception, that is our destiny. Thank you. She did good, didn't she? <laughs> There's a famous line in a book about the missionaries to Hawaii who went to Hawaii to do good and ended up doing well. <laughs> they, they got all the land and became big, big landowners and farmers. So anyway, she did good, not well. <laughs> Probably did well, too. So this topic of self, uh, of living in the light and self-offering is really central. You know, Patanjali begins his great uh, yoga sutras with the statement, uh, yogas chitra vritti narod. Yoga, the state of union with God, is simply the neutralization of the whirlpools of likes and dislikes. And so all of those whirlpools of likes and dislikes are are holding us back. And yoga, meditation, service, self-offering, all of these things just calm down or neutralize those whirlpools. So when we think of self-offering or offering these things up as, as somehow self-denial, we're picking it up from the wrong end of the stick. It's just the opposite. There's a wonderful story. By the way, um, on Friday, Friday our blog is going to come out, as it does every Friday. And I tell this story in that blog. But um, it's cause for a little bit of a celebration, because the blog that comes out on Friday is blog number 500. <laughs> so. 
every week for the last for the last 500 weeks we have we have been self-offering a touch of light uh, or offering a touch of light but in that i tell this absolutely charming story so there was a hollywood actor and actually he started out as a wonderful jazz singer sang with many of the big bands, and his name was Herb Jeffries. Then he became a follower of Master, and he told this story about himself. He said he was talking with Master, and he says, well, my experience with religion is religion tells you you shan't do this, and you shan't do that, and you mustn't do that, and I want to know what I can do, not what I shan't do. And Master looks at him and he says, well, do you smoke? Well, Master probably smelled the smoke on him. And, and Herb Jeffrey says, yes, I do. And Master said, you may continue. And a little surprised with that. Then he says, do you drink alcohol? Well, yes, I do. I enjoy a good drink. You may continue. Then he said, Master says to him, do you enjoy the company of women? And Herb Jeffries, well, yes, I do. <laughs> and Master says, you may continue. Well, by this time, Herb is a little bit confused by this because there none of the chance. And then Master says, but I have to warn you that if you follow these teachings, the desire to do those things is going to fall away. And so that's what real self-offering is. It isn't self-denial. In fact, it isn't even pushing it away. Davy was reading some from uh, Swami's uh, New Renunciate Order booklet. Swami defines uh, self-offering in that. He said the old way is world-rejecting. The new way is samadhi-affirming. So instead of saying, I have to push away, I have to deny myself, I mustn't do that, the old vows that Davy was quoting basically are vows where you put a lid on those natural human tendencies of possession and pleasure and power. And so, so you put a lid on that by poverty and um, uh, chastity and uh, obedience. Well, that is that energy, when the consciousness is not very high, works but it works by suppressing, and it only works temporarily. What you want to do is not suppress that energy, but channel it and then transmute it into higher things. Because what we need above all to understand is that everything is just energy. It's just life force flowing. And so if life force is flowing toward likes and dislikes, the whirlpools of likes and dislikes, it draws us into the, the consciousness of ego, of separation from God. And the reason that those vows work with the lower three chakras of poverty uh, chastity and obedience is that those tendencies are the way God keeps creation functioning. So self-preservation and money and possessions are part of that. So, so um, 
you don't have anything. Uh, you, you affirm poverty. Master didn't do that. His two most advanced disciples were both multimillionaires. But the difference is, why do you have to be a millionaire to be self-realized or to be a high disciple? Of course not. They were millionaires, but they weren't attached to their money. They, they, it, it was like a symptom of right living. It just kind of fell off of them because they were doing living in accordance with God's laws. And so they became wealthy because they were at that time doing business. If they'd been doing something else, they wouldn't have been wealthy. But they wouldn't have cared. It was, they weren't attached. So they were simply succeeding at what God was having them do at that time. And then they used that, that money in order to help do good in the world. And Master said, earning money rightly and using it for the right cause is the second best thing to do after seeking God. And so he wasn't against that, but he was trying to get us to be non-attached. This is a, a quote again. Uh, I have to thank Mantra Devi. She found all these wonderful quotes on renunciation, so she kind of loaded our gun for us, so we didn't have to do, <laughs> do so much work. But these are... These are wonderful quotes. So Master says, renunciation, or we can say self-offering. They're both interchangeable concepts. Self-offering means the denial of smaller things which you think you are, are your own for the attainment of greater things that are truly your own. If you only knew whose son you are and how much territory you own, you, wouldn't, you would give up everything else. Renunciation is not negative, but positive. It isn't the giving up of anything except misery. One should not think of renunciation as a path of sacrifice. Rather, it is the divine investment by which our few cents of self-discipline will yield million spiritual dollars. Is it not wisdom to spend the golden coins of our fleeting days to purchase eternity? Isn't that beautiful? So all of those things we say, oh, you can't have that. Oh, oh God, no, I, I hope you don't see that desire. Who do you think is having that desire through you? It's all God. And so in a sense, Master one time in his later years, he too took on karma for people. And so one time some of the monks were carrying him down the stairs because at that time his knees especially, he said he could visualize little satanic beings like corkscrews going into his knees. So he was taking on that karma for people. Anyway, they were carrying him down the steps. And he said, oh, thank you for your kind attentions. And they, of course, said, oh, no, Master, this is nothing. Thank you for all you give us. And he just smiled. And he said, God helping God. That's his drama. So God helping God. That's always his drama and only his drama. So God 
renouncing or offering up the little things that are holding us back from realizing that we are God. So God in this form saying, God, I give you these things and thinking that we're giving up something in doing that, all we are is giving up that which is holding us back. And so that kind of joyful self-offering. Now, what can we really offer God? You can say, God, I offer you my house. Well, God doesn't need a house. <laughs> and you can't anymore give God a house then you can give the sun that house. The sun, you can't give physical things to God. So what, what are you really offering there? You're offering your attachment, the inner attitude, the likes and the dislikes, the attachments, you're offering those to God. But even offering our attachments, that's not the ultimate thing. This is... Um, a quote from, from Swamiji. It must be understood further that non-attachment itself is not the goal of renunciation or self-offering, the supreme purpose of which is to give one the freedom to devote himself primarily to his spiritual search. The real delusion to be overcome is the bondage of ego identity, the true goal of self-offering, renunciation, is to help one to rid himself of that self-limiting identity. So anything that we give to God is going to be received by him, not in its physical form, but in the, the self-offering and non-attachment, but especially the desire to be reunited with him. And, and so it's always just this beautiful, beautiful process. Our destiny is to merge back with God. I sometimes think visually, the, the visual image came to us. Um, Davy and I have stayed. We have a friend whose sister owns property right on the Ganges above Rishikesh, beautiful property. But what makes it really sacred is that there's a little guest house and Ananda Moy Ma used to go there and spend months at a time right on the Ganges. And so Davy and I have stayed in that guest house that Ananda Moy Ma stayed in. But you go out and you see uh, just from here to the door there is the Ganges River, beautiful. And above Rishikesh, it's just coming down from the mountains. So it is this beautiful kind of somewhere between the jade green and turquoise and just kind of crystalline, beautiful water and it's flowing. But here's what I was thinking about. So you look out and you see maybe uh, half a mile up in this direction and uh, half a mile down in that direction, you see all that water, and you say, oh, the Ganges is beautiful. So if you think of that water, what is the destiny of that water? So the water that you're thinking is the Ganges is moving downstream, and its destiny is to feed out into the Bay of, the ben of Bengal 
merge into the ocean and become non-Ganges. And so our destiny, thinking of, of ourselves in this form, our destiny is to move and move and move until we merge into the ocean and become non-Jyotish or non-whoever you think you are. So we merge into that. But I had another thought. So think of all the water in the Ganges from the very beginning to that which is just about to go into the ocean now, right at this very moment. Think of that as one incarnation of the Ganges. And so that moves through, and now all of that's gone. And so we were looking at the water, thinking that's the Ganges. Well, not a single drop of that water is left, so the water isn't the Ganges. The Ganges is actually a kind of a holding pattern for the water that flows through it. So we're, our consciousness is a holding pattern for the incarnations that flow through us. And it's only over time and through that self-offering that that holding pattern, the constrictions of the banks, finally begins to dissolve. And then there's no more, there's no more Jyotish Ganges left. It has merged back into the ocean, which was always its destiny, because that's where that water came from in the first place. Evaporation brought it up, little drops or little snowflakes came into the Ganges and it came back, went back into the ocean. It's a beautiful process, but pertinent for today, it is the process of self-offering. So we have some choice over the matter and think of the Ganges as having the choice to say, oh no, I'm not going to lose myself. I'm going to freeze myself right in place and I'm not giving up anything. Or maybe, all right, I'll give it up, but I'll sell my water to those farmers. You know, it just, we have some degree of self-determination to be attached or not attached. So much easier to just go with the flow, <laughs> go with God's flow and let it be. And, and then to offer that to others. Let the others ride along with us. Uh, we see when we're there, uh, Ganges now has become a very popular rafting place. And so uh, group after group riding rafts down. So Ganges doesn't mind. Let, let them ride along. Come on, let's all have fun together. So as our self-offering goes, we want to include others. Swami said it is the very... Somebody asked him, why does God create this world? He had a beautiful answer. He said, it is the very nature of joy to want to share itself with others. So now the joyful, blissful Ganges, maybe it had some turbulence up there, but now it's flowing smoothly and it's going to go down and merge back in the ocean. Let others ride along. It's even more fun if we can bring some others along with us. So self-offering, our self-offering, is really just the offering of those things that are holding us back. And so let's 
do it joyfully and willingly, not with a sense that something is being taken from us. So Swami says every night before we go to sleep, mentally have a bonfire, and into that bonfire, just offer all of the attachments, all of the desires, all of the good, all of the mistakes of the day, offer them in, burn them up, let them go, because tomorrow is a new day, and uh, we want to go into a new day with a fresh and clean slate. So that self-offering is should be joyful. Now, there's another topic that I want to touch on, which is how, how can we effectively, because you can offer something, but it just seems to stick around anyway. And so how can we effectively do our self-offering? For instance, in meditation, the restless mind, all those restless thoughts, you know, you can sit there and with your mind, try to calm your mind and say, I give you this, I, I don't want to think about that. No, I'm not going to think about breakfast. Not going to think about the project. No, I'm going to, I'm going to concentrate. Hongs, so, hongs. I, I'm not going to think. <laughs> and so, so how, how do we effectively get done with that? Again, a visual image. Think of a big table. And you take a, a feather pillow, a down pillow, and you dump all the feathers on that table. And now you're going to offer one by one each of those feathers up. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to want that. I'm, I give you this. It's going to take a long time. Well, if it were only that, that would be okay. But unfortunately, because of the restlessness of the mind, you've got a big overhead fan going <laughs> really fast. And so, so you, you've got all those feathers spreading all over the room, so you have to go put them back on the table, and by the time you get the next one, they've blown off again. Well, the only possible way is by turning off the fan. That's what pranayama is. We have to turn off the energy that's creating those, those restless thoughts. And so that's, as Patanjali says, and now we come to the study of the science of yoga. And that's what it is. Davy mentioned that uh, about this man at the end of a Patanjali a series, week long, I think, uh, saying, who are those boys on the bench? Uh, but there was another fellow who had a, a very nice, fun sense of humor. And after a week of Patanjali classes, we were together kind of sharing final thoughts and sharing what they got out of it. And he said, you know, when I came here at the beginning of the class, I was really confused. He said, I'm still confused, but at a much higher level. <laughs> And so let's, let's hope at least from this inner renewal retreat, we're confused and we're self-offering at a much higher level. Uh, so, so we can go on. But um, again, it's not what we have. 
it's, it's the attachment to things. Uh, our friend Diana, who we blessed on Monday, told us a, a wonderful story. Swami uh, moved from place to place in India. So his last move, uh, he had to, was moving into a, a small house and he had to furnish it. So we had a friend who owns a, a, a chain of, of uh, furniture and, and uh, home furnishing stores. And he felt it was his blessing to, to have Swami come in and choose things from his store. So Swami spent a whole morning choosing this and that, furniture and chairs and uh, dishes and curtains and because Swami had a, a, an affinity toward and a love of, of uh, rainbows, he loved to have a chandelier because the light through it would put rainbows all. So I just had a couple of chandeliers and then uh, Diana and a few others um, worked for uh, several days getting the, the place all fixed up. And so they had all, they were all there and Swami came and they were expecting all this praise for what they'd done. And um, Swami came in and he kind of looked around and he said, oh, it's beautiful. Well, let's get to work. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the attachment. Nimkarili Baba, people would try to give him a new blanket because he had this ratty old blanket that he wore. They'd try to give him a new blanket or they'd give him food or they'd give him this and he'd just pass it on. And finally, one time somebody said something about it and he said, you have to understand that gifts flow around a saint the way water flows around a stone in the, in the stream. So if you give me a gift, it's going to flow around me and, and go on to someone else. But it's your blessing to do the act of giving. And so that's why I accept it, but I pass it on. I don't, don't keep it. Anyway, coming back to this theme of self-offering, anything that we offer is going to free us, free our consciousness until we eventually become able to not have any of those veils between us and our destiny of merging back into God. And then finally, let me just end with coming back to that song, perfect song for today's class. I don't know how you choose them so perfectly, but how do we really overcome tendencies in ourselves? Because all we can really offer up to God are one, the desires, the likes and dislikes we have, and the tendencies that we have. We're going to have a fire ceremony. And in our fire ceremony, we offer ghee, which is the devotion. So that means to purify the heart of our likes and dislikes and offer the love of the heart to God. And then we're typically we offer ghee, we're not, uh, rice after that. We aren't going to do that. That's past karma. And, and that, those past karmic tendencies become kind of clumped together. And then we have 
tendencies or samskars, a tendency toward fear, a tendency toward intelligence, a ten, uh, hundreds of uh, tendencies. But we offer those up too. But it doesn't work so easily because remember, those tendencies and those desires are simply energy that has been committed in that direction. And so if we offer those up without redirecting the energy, it's just going to reproduce the same tendencies. So what we want to do is we want to redirect the energy that has gone into a quality that we want to get rid of. So let's call it a negative quality. We want to redirect the energy that is animating that into its polar opposite positive quality. And so if you're greedy, you want to take things to yourself or you have, you aren't. Erase that, take it off the tape. You are not greedy. You may have a tendency of being greedy. You are the light itself. But if you have a tendency toward being greedy, then redirect the energy to the polar opposite of that and be generous to other people. That which you want, give away to other people. And in doing that, and so that's what that song is. And so wherever, and I'll just end with this. This is, uh, every day we get a, a, something called a, a day in the life of Yogananda. And this today was an affirmation. And I thought it was so perfect to end with. He said, each condition of inharmony and criticism which I meet is a direct call to me to release the power of understanding, friendliness, and love. Each encounter with hate and anger calls for compassion and love from me. Each situation involving ugliness or emptiness calls for the release of the power of beauty in the form of creative activity. I have much work to do, and I would be about my father's business. So isn't that perfect? Redirect in a positive way. That's true self-offering of our little light into the greater light. And let's all be about our father's business. Okay, so now we no, will... Wait, she says. <laughs> you did good, too. Okay, <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. So Swami loved having beautiful things around. That's why he loved the chandeliers, and he enjoyed that. Well, um, we have beautiful things down at the... There's an art show going on now, and so many of the... Ananda artists um, have submitted pieces. So take a, a little time and go down. It just opened yesterday. So down by the market, on the other side uh, from the market, there are two buildings. The far building is where the art show is. And what are there, 30 or 40 pieces of art? Oh, there's about 50. And it's open on Saturday. Open only on Saturday? Oh, so it's not open today. Oh, okay. It was opened yesterday. All right. Well, Saturday, go down there and, and take a look at the art.
Okay, so. Now, if you've written something down, thank you, Sambhala. Okay, so we're not going to do the mantra, but we are going to do the two parts of the typical fire ceremony. So the first is to um, purify the heart of any desires other than the desire for God. So uh, we'll repeat the first time seven times, but we'll do Om Swaha. And during this time, think about desires or attachments that you have that are holding you back, something that you you don't need or that you're willing to give up to to God. And so seven times we'll chant Om Swaha. And then we'll pause. And then the second part is where we offer the rice. That represents tendencies. So during that part, think of behavior patterns that you have that are no longer helping you move toward God and offer those up. So please, please stand. stand. All right, so let's center ourselves and we'll pray to God. God, I offer up these desires, aversions, and attachments to thee. Now think of something you'd like to offer and let's chant, Oh, of something I Thy flames, all likes and dislikes, all desires and attachments, to be burnt up and released. Okay, now think of tendencies or habit patterns that you would like to overcome. to thy light, all those habits, those behavior patterns, 
those samskars, those, samskars, those self-identities self that are holding me back from thee. Back. I release them, I release them into, thy into thy flames of infinity. Om, Om. Shanti, Shanti.